Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, so grateful you're here, whether you're checking in online or you're here in the building. Um, I, I, I really am grateful that we get to do this. I'm grateful if you're here for the first time. I'm so glad you're here. If you're, uh, this is your church, just glad that we get to do this. Um, and I could talk a lot about that, but I'm not going to, so thanks for being here. Um, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Um, here's, here's where we're going this morning. As we're kind of in between series, I thought I'd take this week to just share something that I've been kind of walking through over the last year, just a year or so. Um, it, it's, it's something that, I, as I've connected with other people and talked about this thing that I sort of bumped into uh, in my own faith journey, I've realized that this is something that it's not just me. I think this is something that all of us will bump into. If you're on a faith journey, if you're discovering faith, if you're trying to live faith out, if you're just starting out and you're asking questions about, you know, what does it look like to have a relationship with God and how does that impact our lives? Or if you've been doing this for years and years and years, <laughs> What I've discovered this, this year for me and what I've discovered for so many others is that this thing is something we have to wrestle with probably several times in our lives. And I wrestled with this in a very, very visceral way this last year. Um, and it, it, it kind of showed me that there's something that I have to navigate. There's something that I have to walk through and will likely walk through uh, several more times, because that's just the nature of this faith journey. So that's where we're headed. I'm gonna tell you this journey that I've been on to kind of set you up for the, 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 the current journey of what's been happening. I need to go back just a little bit because my life kind of growing up sort of set me up to experience this last year in a certain way. So let me just catch you up. For those of you who don't know some of my story, um, I grew up in a pretty broken home. There was divorce after divorce after divorce. Um, we moved 19 times before I was 19 years old, so we never really dropped roots down. You know, we never really sank any roots. I don't think back on my childhood and think about a childhood home. There kind of wasn't one. It was kind of, which one is it? I'm not too sure. Um, my dad went bankrupt when we were uh, teenagers, when I was a teenager, and so we actually lost the dream home that we wanted to have. The bank took it back, and so for about six months, we were functionally homeless. We didn't have a place to live. Uh, as well, during some of that time, there were so many financial issues that my mom's car was also repossessed, so we watched the car being taken, pulled up on the back of a truck. And so I say all that because finances <laughs> and security and a secure home really wasn't existent for me growing up. And so we never really dropped any roots. I never felt what it was like to have roots sunk down and kind of that's, that's what you do. The first time I really actually dropped some roots, and I didn't even know I was doing it. Uh, I only realized when we left. Um, but the first time I think we actually dropped some roots was when we lived in Atlanta, when my wife and I and our kids lived in Atlanta, and we had bought a little house. It was our first house, and it was awesome. I mean, we had this house. It was so cool. It wasn't much, but it was awesome. And we made some amazing friends and met some cool neighbors, friends and neighbors that kind of became like family to us. And it was so cool, and uh, that's kind of why I knew that we had some roots, because we had to move from there. We lived there for about six years, and we had to move away, and I felt this weird feeling inside of me, this weird painful feeling, <laughs> kind of like roots being pulled, and I was like, what is this weird feeling? I've never felt this before. And so I realized that we had some roots, but we moved to Florida, and Florida was an incredible season. It was very hard. Uh, the ministry and the work that we did there was so cool, and the, some of the people we met and, and connected and did life with was, were amazing, but the, the whole time while we were down there, it was just really hard. We, the church that we were kind of 
a part of, we didn't have enough staff to, to do what we needed to do. We didn't have a building, and so we would set up and tear down in a high school every single week. That gets tiring, and that's hard. And so it was, it was just a hard season, and it never let up. We're so grateful for it because we learned so much. But when that came to an end and we moved to Chattanooga in August 2019, it was kind of a relief it was, it was amazing, and, and we were sort of gaining something. Outside of losing some relationships, we'd gained so much when we came. And so when we moved here to Chattanooga, this is what we felt. We were like, oh my gosh, I love this place. <laughs> I mean, come on, Chattanooga, isn't it an amazing city? Right? I, we, yes, thank you. Some people, we've got some fans. Um, we, we fell in love with the city. We really did. I mean, the bridges and the river and the, the city, it's just so cool. And, and, and we fell in love with this church and the team that I get to work with. It's amazing. And, and we bought ourselves a little bungalow and it's so cool. And we love our neighborhood. It's this cool little neighborhood. And man, it felt so, so cool. We love our home. We love coming home. We, we just love this place. And we found ourselves sort of naturally saying, we want to stay here forever. And for the first time in my life, I feel like we're going, let's plant roots. We love this place. It's so cool. And that's a new thing. It's, it's just, it, it felt so, so great. And so um, things were so exciting and so fun for about six months. Because then COVID hit, remember? <laughs> it's like, great, thanks a lot. And COVID hits, and I don't know how you experienced COVID, and I know there's some people who had a devastating, just tough, tough run with COVID because they lost people. It's just very, very hard. And other people kind of were just irritated, and it was a frustrating time. And, and maybe yours was somewhere in between. For me, it was kind of a really weird, interesting journey through COVID, primarily because my whole job revolves around meeting in large groups indoors, <laughs> on Sundays, you know, so that was canceled. And so you're like, okay, now wh what do I do with this? H how do you navigate? Like, it's, oh, I love Chattanooga. I love this house. I love this job. I love this place. What's happening? And so you bump into this, this journey and you're like, what are we going to do? How do you figure out how to do church when you're not allowed to meet? And are we going to survive this? Is this gonna work? Where are we gonna go? What are we gonna do? And I'm so grateful for the team that I work with because they were brilliant and were able to navigate how to do church without meeting and doing, and we could walk through that. It was amazing. But this is when, as we navigated that, figured out how to do church and video and you know, online and all this stuff, but that's when I bumped into this thing that challenged me, my gosh, that shook me, that, that kind of went to the core of my faith in some ways. And I think as we go along this faith journey, we bump into it in some ways. And this is how I bumped into it. This is where this hard thing happened for me. Because due to a worldwide pandemic and the closure of so many things and the insecurity of jobs and, you know, what's your attendance at church like? Zero. <laughs> How are we gonna navigate this? Are we going to survive? Are we gonna have a church afterwards? Am I gonna have a job afterwards? I love the city, I love being here. And then add to that, you know, many people who love this place and give financially to support this church lost income and lost jobs. And so for a church that operates based on the giving and the generosity of people, you know, when finances and insecurity in people's lives are at risk and people are losing jobs, then finances and security for the church 
becomes a concern. And when that happened, as I watched the income of our church get impacted and begin to drop, not a ton, but significantly, you guys are incredible, not, not a ton, the generosity and just how much you believe in what's happening here is just amazing. But as I personally watched the income of the church drop, again, not a ton, but significantly, something in me started to appear, something that I hadn't felt as deeply and as strongly before. This level of anxiety began to rise. And at first, I didn't recognize it. I'm just like, oh, feeling something. This level of fear, this level of worry started to rise in me, and it impacted everything. I was just kind of worried. And when I started to recognize that, I'm going, what is this? Why am I feeling this? And it, it was a little weird to me because, man, I'd walked through so many difficult situations already. I'd walked through loss of home. I've walked through bad income. I've walked through all this stuff before. And every single time, God somehow came through in our lives and we got to the other side and it all worked out really well. So, so feeling this level of anxiety and worry and fear that was rising up in me that was just kind of there and I couldn't get rid of it, I was going, what is this? Why am I feeling it? Why is this different to before? Why can't I handle this? What's, ah, what is this? And as I prayed about it, and as I journaled about it, and as I, as I thought about this, I realized finally that I think the reason this is rising in me like it hadn't before is because for the first time in my life, I felt like I had something to lose. I love my house. I love the city. I don't want to move again. I love this church. I love this group of people that I get to work with. I love this group of people, this community that I get to do life with. I love what's happening. I love this mission. I love this church, and I love my house. I don't want to lose this. I mean, growing up, I never had anything to lose. We had so little, and nothing was solid. There were no roots, never had anything to lose. So it was like, hey, whatever, let's just cruise. Let's just do this thing. Now there was something to lose. While we were in Tampa, while the ministry was amazing, it was always hard, and leaving there was sort of a relief, and we gained so much coming here. But now, it felt like there was something significant to lose. And if the finances dropped to the point where some major decisions had to be made, we could lose all of this. And I started kind of saying, and this thought started to come up in my mind, I don't want to move again. I don't want to move. And this is where I discovered, you know, you know the theory of this stuff, but this is where I discovered and bumped into it, kind of slammed into a wall, you know. This is where I discovered something really important about faith and about Christianity and about God, that money and stuff, and my house, and salary, and my job can and is always trying to, and had to a certain degree for me, become a faith thing. Because what I began to realize was that, again, to a certain degree, I was getting my meaning, my peace, my purpose, my joy, and my security from what we had, and not from God. So to become a significant faith thing. And the thing that was sort of representing all of the stuff, you know, the job, the city, the, 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 the salary, all the stuff, you know, the security, all that was my house. That was kind of the picture of it all. And I didn't want to move again. I like my house. <laughs> again, it's, it's a little bungalow. It's nothing much. It's, but I love it. I love it. 
And we didn't want to move. And you know what I realized through praying and wrestling and, and, and wrestling with this anxiety that I was feeling? I felt like God was kind of asking me this question. Justin, are you trusting in your house more than you're trusting me? Are you getting your peace and your security more from your house than from me? And I think I realized, and this is uncomfortable to admit as a Christian and as a pastor, you know, (laughs) the answer was yes, I was. I was getting my security, my peace, my comfort, my joy from my house and not from God. And that's a that's a little dangerous, actually, as, as I thought about it, because a house doesn't actually love you. When you have to paint your house, you realize your house doesn't love you. <laughs> There's a lot of work. <laughs> it doesn't. Your house doesn't love you. And as important and as wonderful and as good as a house is, and I think as God wants us to have a secure home, of course he does, but a house is not alive, and a house doesn't care about You, a house is susceptible to this broken world. COVID showed us that. When jobs, and it's like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? It just goes, it's up for grabs. And then a tornado hits our community and this house that's so strong and and powerful and solid, gone. In a second, a house cannot withstand this broken world. It is not eternal. It is not bigger than this broken world. And so placing my trust in a house to find my comfort and my peace and my security is so dangerous, but I realize that possessions and money and stuff and a job and what we have and what we try to keep and what we try to find and try to get became a faith thing, a significant faith thing, and here's why, because I had started trusting my stuff and my sec- uh, for my security, for my hope, for my peace, for my joy, I had started trusting my stuff for that, and whatever you begin to trust in for those things is what you're actually, to some degree, placing your faith in. And so in a way, I had faith in my house. So it became a real faith thing, a real like God thing. In some way I had made, I'd put a house in the place that only God can have. And again, this was somewhat new for me. I hadn't really done this because when I became a Christian, I was a kid. You don't even think about money and stuff and house. You just kind of do life and yay, God, woohoo, I can be a Christian. Really? Heaven? Woo, this is amazing. And you kind of just go with it. And when I was 16 years old, that's when I really kind of discovered a real relationship with Jesus and felt called into ministry. And I remember praying this prayer, God, I give you everything. And now I look back and I wonder if God was smiling going, what do you have? (laughs) And I'm sure he was so excited. I'm sure he's like, yes, that's amazing. I love it. But I'm going, everything, God. And he's going, man, whatever you get from me is way more than anything you have. (laughs) but everything, but I realized I had nothing really to give in my heart and all that stuff, and that's beautiful, and I'm grateful. But now, I realized that I, I had something to lose. I had something to lose. I love my house, I love my job, I love my church, I love the city, and as I nervously watched the money during COVID, this anxiety grew in me, and I started to wonder, are we gonna lose the house? Are we gonna have to move Again, I had something to lose, and, and, and I was worrying about 
losing it and it impacted me and I realized two significant ways that this kind of thing, I realized two significant things. The first one was this, I couldn't enjoy my house anymore because all I was doing was I was worrying about it. And this, this, this cool spot, this cool city, this cool job, and as I walked into my house, it's like, oh no, it was this underlying concern, fear, anxiety. I couldn't enjoy my house anymore. And the second thing, man, this is huge. This is so important for us as a church. It made me realize why sometimes churches become all about the numbers and the money and the attendance. Because when I started to worry about losing something, it's so easy to take your focus off of the mission and the point and the heart of what the church is all about and become more about the numbers and the money and the attendance. And I'm telling you, we all know this intuitively. The minute a church becomes about money and attendance and numbers, it always hurts the purity of the mission. Always. You see, stuff and money can become a faith thing really quickly as it pulls attention and it pulls trust and it pulls this thing saying, I can take care of you. And we think it can, but the worry that comes along with it and it so easily can skew things in our hearts and distort who we are and who we want to be. So this is my little journey that I've been on and have walked on. This is my story. I'm not sure how this impacts you, but I know I've spoken to several people literally over the last couple weeks where you recognize stuff, money, house, job, security, whatever it is, becomes so big for us sometimes. I don't know where it lands with you. I don't know if you're on that journey. I don't know if you've bumped into this yet or not. I, I, I do know that I have, and I do know that many people I know have, and I also know that Jesus speaks about this. As he speaks about money and God, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says this, so interesting, no one can serve two masters. He calls them masters. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And what I realized when I had something to lose and the circumstances around me shook the thing that I didn't want to lose the potential for that thing to lose and it became insecure. That stuff and possessions and money so quickly becomes something I begin to trust and serve to a degree. And I realized that I had to wrestle with this really important question. Am I getting my meaning, my purpose, my hope, my security, my peace from my house and from my job or am I not getting it from God? Because Jesus said, according to him, he said, I can't get it from both. I can't. So I'm wrestling with all this and I'm feeling this and I'm like, what is going on? And I'm realizing, oh gosh, what am I trusting? What's happening? And then I was reminded of a, of a story, an incredible story in the life of, of one of the heroes of faith, according to Christianity, one of the people that actually impacted not just Christianity, but the world, Abraham. Abraham walked through something similar to this and I think wrestled with something of the same thing. You see, if you don't know Abraham, Abraham is one of the patriarchs of the faith. I mean, one of the fathers of, of the faith. And, and God kind of had this plan to, to change the world through Abraham. And so he connected with Abraham and he, and he told him, I have something for you, Abraham. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And through you, I'm gonna bless all the nations of the world. 
And Abraham had no clue what that meant. You know, what, is, what does that mean? So Abraham just trusted God. And he kind of knew, I'm going to make you a great nation. That means I have to have a kid. And that kid has to have kids. And that kid has to have lots of kids. And so eventually we can be a great nation. But he had no clue that through his line, through that, that, that his kids would become Israel. All his kids would eventually be Israel. And through Israel, Jesus would come to this world and literally change everything. Everything. And so, so Abraham's just like, okay, that's awesome. I trust you. And that's how it all started. Abraham trusted God. He put his faith in God. But what's interesting is that in the beginning, he didn't have much to lose. Like imagine you're kind of doing your thing in the Middle East somewhere and it's like, okay, crazy. And God appears and says, I've got something amazing for you. You're like, okay, let me leave that sheep and go. You know, not much to lose. And he's gonna gain so much from this promise and everything is there. Didn't have much to lose in the beginning. But 25 years later, when he and his wife, Sarah, had one child, and this promise was about being a great nation, and his child is the one that this nation's gonna come through, I reckon Abraham had this temptation and this, 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 this desire, this need to put all the pressure of this promise on poor little Isaac. Imagine that. You thought your parents had expectations on you. Imagine the whole world. <laughs> Imagine Abraham put all the expectation of God's promise and God's you know, calling and the blessing the nations on little Isaac. He could not carry that weight. It would be unbearable. But Abraham was tempted to do that because this is my child and God said and it's gonna go through you. Huge, huge pressure. He was tempted to put the pressure on something that couldn't handle that pressure. And I think that's what I was doing. And I think that's what we do sometimes. We put the expectation of life and purpose and hope and peace and security and joy and comfort on the things, our house, our job, our family, our money. We put those expectations, the trust in something that was never designed to give us life and purpose, and hope, and peace, and security, and joy, and ultimate comfort. And yet we put the expectation, I was putting the expectation on my house to do what a house can't do, to do what only God can do, because those things don't last. They are not eternal. They can't withstand the insecurity of a broken world. They can't, and as such, they don't work. They can't work. And that's why I think God is always, always calling us to trust him. Would you trust me? Would you trust me? Would you trust me? Because we're always trying to trust other things. And we're tempted to put our trust in things we can see and touch and know. And so for Abraham, God did something that at first glance seems so wrong, and yet when you understand the bigger picture, when you understand what was going on in Abraham's heart, what was going on with Isaac, and how if this did go this direction, it would have crushed Isaac, crushed Abraham, and ruined the plan. So God did something so incredible, so crazy, so scary, but he did this, and if you understand the full story, you realize how important this was. God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse two, he said this, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And before we get to the rest, I love how he repeats himself four times, just to make sure he knows what he's talking about. So, so you can't go, oh, did you mean Isaac? No, take your son, your only son, the son you love, 
Isaac, that one. Okay, cool, we good, on the same page. And here's what I want you to do. Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now that's shocking, that's like, what? But what God was saying in this moment was this. Can you give Isaac to me? I know you, you believe everything is on him. Can you give him to me? Has Isaac become the one you're trusting, Abraham? Or can you trust me with all of this? And can you trust me even with him? I think that's what God was saying. And for me, in this house journey, I felt like God was saying to me, Justin, I want you to take your house, your only house, the house you love, and I want you to give it to me. I want you to give it to me. I want you to trust me with it, and I want you to trust me with your security, with your hope, with your future. I want you to trust me. Can you give me your house? I want you to be able to find your security, your peace, your hope, your joy in me and not your house. Your house can't give that to you. You've tried. It doesn't work. All you do is worry about if you're going to lose it. I want you to give it to me. And this is so huge because I think we live in a world and 2020 has showed us this where things don't last. The things we think do last don't last. They can't take care of us. Things can't really satisfy, but Christianity teaches that there is a God who knows you, who knows your needs, your deepest needs, even the ones while we're thinking about this need, he knows the deeper, the more important needs that we have. And there's a God who really loves you and he really is God. That's what Christianity teaches. And that he longs to care for us in the middle of this broken world. And he is the only thing that is above the broken world that is not susceptible to the broken world. He wants us to trust him. And yet we're drawn to to trust and in a sense serve money and house and job. And he's going, no, 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 that can't satisfy. It can't satisfy. Would you come to me? And put your hope in me. And God was calling me back. And he was saying, I want you to get to the place where you are okay losing your house. Because you trust me. And you know I've got you. And let me just clarify that. He wasn't saying, give up your house. He was saying, I want you to get to the place where you trust me so much. And you realize that I really am God. And you realize that I really am good. That even if you lost the house. Even if you had to move again you'd be okay because you knew that I'm God and that I'm good. And that's what I realized I was wrestling with. I wasn't really wrestling with losing the house because this was a faith thing. What I was wrestling with was, do I really believe that God really is God? Do I really believe that he's really God? Like like really, like he really is bigger than this. He really is above us. Do I really believe that? And secondly, do I really believe that he's good? And good to me, not just good. Do I really believe that he's God and do I really believe that he is good and that he has me and that he wants my best? And even though I'm a pastor and I know a bunch of scriptures and I do this for a living, stuff and money is so powerful that it pulls me away from that fundamental question because I had started getting my security and my value and my purpose and my hope from something that couldn't really give it to me. And so he was asking me that question, do you really believe that I'm God 
And do you really believe that I am good and that I love you and that I got you? Let's get back to the story with Abraham because God asks Abraham, would you give Isaac to me? So Abraham took Isaac onto this mountain and he put him on an altar. And right before he sacrificed him, right before he gave him to God and said so boldly, I trust you with him. Ah, I trust you with the most important thing, the thing that I think is gonna give me my future, the thing that I think is gonna care for me, the thing that everything is hanging in the balance. I, I was trusting him. I think I wanna trust him, but I trust you with him. I give him to you right when that happens. Look what God said, and this reflects God's heart so beautifully. Genesis 22, verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. That's, we're gonna come back to that statement, now I know you fear God, because that's so important for a faith journey, and that fear thing is not afraid. We're gonna explain what fear means, but he says, now I know that you fear God. Now I know that I'm God, and you haven't made Isaac a little God that can't even be a little God. He's too young, he can't do that, he can't handle that. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me, your son, your only son. Isaac could not have fulfilled Abraham's needs. He couldn't. And if Abraham had put Isaac in the place of God, the one who can provide hope and security and joy and peace, it would have ruined Isaac and it would have ruined Abraham and it would have ruined the plan. But if Abraham could go, okay, I do trust you, God. I do see you. I do fear you. God needed to be God. Isaac couldn't. So, so what does that fearing God mean? Now I know you fear God. I think that fearing God thing is so important, and it, it, it does not mean be afraid of God. This is not what fearing God means. What fearing God means, a simple way to think about it is, I think it means this. It is recognizing who God is. Recognizing who He really is. Because if we recognize that He's actually God, and we recognize that he's so good, then we'll be like, okay, you can be God in my life. You can. We recognize that he's God, recognize that he's good. We fear him. We put him in his place. He knows that. And, and there's this beautiful scripture in Hebrews 11 that, that talks about how Abraham actually saw God, recognized who God was, and it gave him the ability to trust God with, Abraham, uh, with, with Isaac. Hebrews 11 verse 17 describes this. It says this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. He had told him, it's through Isaac. And Abraham was willing to sacrifice. Why? Because he knew who God was. Look at this next verse. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. The reason he said, okay, I'll give Isaac, is because he knew who God was. He said God would stop at nothing to do what God can do and will do. God will be God, and I trust you. Your way is way better. And not just it's not like this thing of, I'm strong enough to trust God with the things that I love most. No, it's getting to the place where it's going, whoa, I really believe you're God. That's what Abraham was doing. I really believe you could raise him from the dead. I trust you that much that, okay, take him. Take him, I trust you that much. That's how much Abraham trusted God. 
And the reason Abraham was able to trust him with the son was because he really believed that God was God. He really did. Fearing God is not just remembering that God is God, though, like really God, like above this broken world, like beyond it all, like over it all. But it's also believing that he's good. There's this beautiful passage of scripture that my heart kind of went to as I was wrestling with all this and reading Abraham and the saw the fear God thing there. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? How do we navigate that? I was reminded of Deuteronomy chapter 10. There's this passage that was written to Abraham's descendants. The very people that came from Isaac came from the nation, and he wrote this to him, describing what fearing God is and, and recognizing who God is. And it's this beautiful passage. It says this, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? That's what he's asking. Would you fear him? And again, not be afraid, not, not be like, ah, recognize who he is. That's what he's saying. And verse 14 shows us who he is. Listen to this, it's beautiful. Verse 14, to the Lord your God belong the heavens. That's who he is. Even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it, including my house and the whole Chattanooga <laughs> and everything. The earth, that's who he is. To the, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. He's God. But look what it says next, verse 15. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. That's Abraham. He loved him. And by implication, you. Lord, the Lord loves you. He sets his affection on you. Not only is he God, he loves you. And he's really good. It continues. And he chose you, their descendants, above all nations, as it is today. And then he says something interesting. He says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. What does that mean? I think it's just a Jewish way of saying, stop trusting other things and trust the one who you can be trusted. Verse 17. Again, look what it describes as God. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. He's God. Fear him. Why? Because he's God. Recognize that he's God who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He can be trusted. He's good. Verse 18, and he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. He takes care of people in need. That's how Christianity describes him. And it ends this portion by saying in verse 20, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Recognize who he is. If you could recognize who he is, that he's God above it all, and that he's good, we could trust him. We could trust and, and through this whole, so, so come back to my journey. I'm like wrestling with, I'm reading this and I'm going, ah, I don't wanna lose my house. And I feel like he's going, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Would you recognize who I am? And so the question for me was, do I believe that he's God? And do I believe that he's good? Because if I don't really believe that he's God and that he's really good, that I'm going to hold on to and trust in my stuff and my money and my house and my job and all that stuff. But if I remember, if I remember that he's God and that he's good, then I can go, oh, I, can, I can't trust you even if I lose my house. I was realizing that I was fearing and trusting 
and serving to a degree my house and my money and my stuff rather than fearing and trusting God. And I felt like God was saying to me, Justin, I want you to take your house, your only house, the house you love, and I want you to give it to me. I want you to get to the place where even if you lose it, and you do have to move, you will find, not not be okay with it. No, you will find more joy in knowing that I'm with you, in knowing that I'm God and I got you. And you will find more peace and more security and more joy in me than in your house because you fear me, because you know that I am God and you recognize that I really am and I really am good and I really do love you and I really do have your best in mind and you can really trust me, just like all the other times when you've walked through those difficult things and you've come out on the other side, I'm still here and I still love you, even though you have something to lose this time. I'm still above it. I really am above everything. I really do love you way more than your house does. Just paint it again or blow some leaves and you'll remember that. And I really do have your back, even in this broken world. And the joy and the peace and the security that you can find in me really is way more and bigger than the joy and the peace and security that you can try and find in something that doesn't actually last. So the question was, will you fear me? Will you recognize who I am, that I am God, and that I am good? And to be honest, I struggled with this for, for months. I wrestled with it for months. And I know I'm going to wrestle with it again at some point. But at some point, I, I got to the place where I finally got there. And I took my house, my only house, the house I love, (laughs) and I gave it to him because I remembered that he really is God and that he really is good. And I can trust him more than I can trust my house, especially because if he loved me enough for Jesus to die for me, if he loved me enough for Jesus to die for me, Abraham didn't have that picture. I do. And when I realized, oh gosh, that's how much that I can actually trust him with this life and he can help me live this life that I have. And you know what I found since then? <laughs> I found that I'm actually enjoying my house again. And I can enjoy it so much more because it's in its proper place. It's not sitting in the place of God anymore. But God can be God. And then the blessing that he gives and the house that he gives and the life that he gives and the job that he gives, I can just freely live it. And you know what? I'm a better version of myself living in that freedom, not living in the anxiety of holding on because God is really God and I can trust him and I'm enjoying my house because I know he's got this and he's taking care of it. So that's my journey. (laughs) That's what COVID smacked me in the face with. And that's the wrestle, that's the faith thing that I was going on. But let me ask you, what's your journey with this? Have you bumped into stuff and possessions and a house, a job, a dream, a thing that this anxiety is holding onto you more and it's causing you to not have to be able to be who you actually are because it's concern the whole time and you're fearing it more than fearing God? Is there anything that you've put in the place of God in a way where you're trusting it to provide your hope, your security, your peace, your joy? It can't. Is there something? Me too. (laughs) Sorry, you had to listen to me preach to me this morning. (laughs) Me too. 
And I know I'm gonna bump into it again. This is the life journey. And this is why God in his grace always calls us back saying, no, 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 no. come on, come on, trusting me is so much better, so much better. Would you see that I'm really God and would you see that I'm really good? So is there anything in your life that you've put in the place of God, that you've put more faith in it than faith in God? And then secondly, let me ask you, how do you see God? How do you see God? Do you see him as God? And do you see him as good to you? Do you see him as God and do you see him as good? And I know, I know that if you're new to Christianity or if you're not a Christian or if you've bumped into some really difficult stuff, this may seem ridiculous. But listen, this is how Christianity presents God. And throughout my life, through the highs and the lows, through the loss of homes and cars and through homelessness and through financial insecurity and through all of that stuff, these things that eat away peace and security, I'm telling you the only place I have found that consistently can provide peace and rest and breathing in this broken world is in a God who is God and who is good, the God that Jesus introduced us to. So to end, we're gonna have the band sing a song that's gonna share or, or, or kind of speak or say a few of these things that we've said, present a God who's God and who is good. And as we listen to the song, I'd love for us just to take a moment and ask ourselves those questions. Am I trusting in something that can't provide peace and security? And how do I see God? Do I believe that he's really God and that he's really good? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much. Father, thank you so much that when I struggle with my faith, that you don't look at me and go, come on, seriously? No, you just remind me of who you are. And you call me back to trusting a God who really is God, God of gods, Lord of lords, above everything, everything in the earth belongs to you. You're above it all. You're the only thing that's above the brokenness of this world. You remind me of that. And you call me to remember and see you as God and as good. Father, thank you that that's what you call me to. And Father, thank you that when we trust you in that, when we see you as that, it's not about muscling through, giving up everything that we have. It's about going, wow, you're God and you're good. And you know what? Even if I lose the house, even if I lose the stuff, I trust you because that's who you are. And that's the God that Jesus introduced. Thank you so much, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.